You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Zach's upcoming season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 315. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. We've got a first in the history of the Reality Steve podcast. We have a best of show today. How about that? I'll explain momentarily. So as I said, I was working on a guest. Timing, scheduling did not work out. Found that out yesterday morning. So I was like, okay, let me see if I can get one of my mainstays, one of the people that we have on a lot. And everybody was either just booked or sick or something. And I knew on short notice it was going to be tough, but usually one comes through and it's just everybody was booked yesterday. So I was like, why don't I put together kind of like a compilation of best of episode where I take some of the recent podcasts that I've had, someone that I thought was really good, and just take a couple of their audio clips you know, from that podcast. If you listen to it, you're going to hear it again. If not, you're only going to hear it for the first time, and maybe you will go back and listen to the original one. But I used three podcasts. They, they're three of my last five that I've done. It was podcast number 310 on October 27th with Taylor Hale, the winner of Big Brother 24. Then podcast number 312, the November 10th podcast with Allie Appleby, who was Miss Dallas Teen USA. And the last week's podcast with Jacqueline Trumbull, podcast number 314. All of them because I thought they had something important in them and they were some really good things to discuss. Whether it was Taylor discussing her speech on Big Brother 24 that basically won it for her. Or the trigger warning sexual misconduct laid on her by one of the organizers for Miss USA, which is... Her retelling that story, again, I mentioned it at the time. I'll mention it again. It is a trigger warning for anybody because she does go into uh, describe what happened to her the day after she won Miss Michigan. And then on to Allie Appleby. Like I said, podcast number 312, Miss Teen Dallas USA, who has seizures. She has epilepsy, and she has a service dog. And it made national news when she won Miss Teen Dallas because she now will compete in Miss Teen Texas in July. And I took some excerpts out of that one because, I mean, I could have just replayed that one for the because I want so many people to listen to that podcast. But I, I took out the answers that I thought were were most important in her describing her life, what it's like living with seizures, the fact that she was misdiagnosed for the longest time, what a service dog does, how she went about getting her service dog Brady, and then you know also what someone said to her in terms of when they found out that she was going to compete in Miss Teen Dallas USA. And then the final thing that we go over, the final podcast I cover in this best of is Jacqueline Trumbull from last week. And it's a, it's basically just the 12 minutes where she talks about the main thing that uh, she talks about in regards to why she called off her wedding two weeks beforehand. So there's a lot of good stuff here. And um, like I said, if you listen to those podcasts when they aired, thank you. I don't think it's bad to listen to them again because you're just getting pieces of them and you might have forgotten some of the things that they said and I just tried to, to focus on the important stuff. I'm not saying the other stuff they said in the podcast wasn't important, but 
I'm just trying to single out some things because this is a best of. I'm not just going to run rerun the podcast that originally ran. So, yeah, I hope you'll uh, enjoy this. I'm sure I'm going to do this again in the future. It was a little time-consuming because I had to record an, an outro to each audio clip that I pulled and then an intro to the next audio clip. And I think I did it. I think it flows correctly. If it doesn't, you'll know I screwed up because I did not go back and listen to this. But when I piece it all together, I'm like, okay, this is in the right spot. This is in the right spot. Should be good to go. But if I screwed up, by all means, tell me that I did. And then um, your daily roundup is in your Reality Steve podcast feed if you want to go check that out, some things that we discussed today. Susie Evans did a podcast with Us Weekly where she talked about a lot of things in regards to would she ever do Paradise? Would she ever date someone in Bachelor Nation? Is she dating right now? A little bit more about the Clayton breakup, why it happened. Not going into detail, but she gives a little bit about what the reasoning was for the breakup. Also, I'll talk a little bit more about that GMA scandal with Amy Roback and JT Holmes. I mean, that is... <laughs> It's not like we've gotten too much more dirt, but just talking about it, it's it's kind of a fascinating story because these are, while they're not people that are in my life every day, I guarantee, I don't know about how many of you out there watch GMA every morning and these people would like be part of your life every morning because they're giving you the news and stuff like that. It is pretty fascinating and it is kind of hard to believe that, you know, there was no emotional cheating done or these two, Amy and JT, didn't end their marriages back in August because of the other one. Like, it's it's very hard to believe that, nope, there were never any feelings there, nothing at all. We're strictly coworkers, and we both happened to get separated from our spouses at the same exact time. And then after that, we realized, hey, maybe we should date. Like, we're, we're smart individuals, right? We're kind of bright people here. We can figure it out. That's not what happened. But you know, who knows? I, I'm I'm very curious when they finally address this because they haven't. Um, Amy's ex-husband kind of addressed it yesterday. Andrew Shu, Billy from Melrose Place, who I did find out yesterday. Thank you to the reader who emailed me and said, no, Billy and Allison didn't get married. What I do remember is the episode, it was a season finale where they were set to get married and Allison, the morning of her wedding, realized that her dad was the one who had molested her in the past and she basically was a runaway bride and she fled. So I remember that. I remember she was set to get married to Billy, but then the image of her dad and she realized that she had been molested earlier in her life. So she fled, but then that was only like season three or season four. There were a couple more seasons. So I didn't know if she eventually reconciled with that and got back with Billy and they ended the show getting married. So it doesn't look like they did, unfortunately. And then um, we also talk about a 10-year anniversary of one of the more popular songs in the history of the United States. And I say in the history because it's literally one of the top 10 most downloaded and most watched YouTube videos of all time. And then uh, a little more college football talk uh, with the playoff expansion coming in 2024. I've got uh, some more thoughts on that. So that's on your daily roundup. But today, just today, podcast number 315 is just your best of compilation with three interviews, Taylor Hale, Ali Appleby, and Jacqueline Trumbull. So that's what we got going here. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. But first, let's get to some uh, commercials and then we'll head right into podcast number 315. So let's get started here. Our first podcast I'm going to talk about was from October 27th. 
It was with Taylor Hale, the winner of Big Brother 24. This is podcast number 310. And the first thing that I asked her about was that amazing, amazing finale speech that she had when she went up against Monty and basically blew everybody away with that speech, including me, someone who was always had something set in his head when it came to, if I was ever on the jury, what would I be looking for in a winner? And here's what we talked about. I told you this when I messaged you because I've always been a guy when it comes to these shows, whether it's Survivor or Big Brother, to where I've always been a resume guy. I've never been on one of these shows. I never have any intention. I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to ever participate in any of these shows. But watching from my couch, I've always been like, yeah, I'm a resume guy. And then your final speech convinced me, you know what? I've been looking at it wrong. Not saying that resume can't win, but I think it's a season-by-season basis. I, I don't think it's just automatically resume, yes, I'm voting for them, and automatically, no, let's vote for somebody who's more deserving. And I really loved your speech. Um, the things that you said, that you're a, that you're a, you're, um, you're not a victim, you're a victor, you're a sword, you're, a, you're not a shield, you're a sword. Like, this stuff was was powerful. Is this something that you literally were rehearsing in the mirror, or is it just kind of stream of consciousness that came to you when you got up to make the speech? Oh, I guess those are the metrics we're measuring by then somewhere in the middle. Um, I mean, the, the truth is we were given some ciders the night before and I <laughs> had maybe one too many. <laughs> and that last, probably from 1130 at night to maybe one thirty two in the morning, I was in the bathroom, locked the door or closed the door behind me. And I was just talking about my overall experience in the game and how there was no way I could make it to the finale episode and not advocate for myself. I didn't go through hell in the house to not do something in the end. And I was just speaking out loud. I was thinking about what type of speech I would give if I could make it to that final final two seat. And that's where I just said it um, in the stream of consciousness in that moment, shield, sword, victim, victor. And I knew to pull that in my speech. I were able to give it. Thank God I was able to give it. (laughs) Well, I mean, like I said, I, I, I was a hundred percent, in my head, like if I was on jury, jury, I'd vote for Monty. And then I heard your speech and I heard his and I was like, she's right. Like this is a season I think that needs to needs to go to her. It, it doesn't not saying that Monty wouldn't have deserved it. If he would have gotten at least five votes, I would have been like, OK, fine. Um, mm-hmm. But it just seemed like, no, this is more important that she gets it. And for all the reasons that she stated in her speech. Now, heading into the final two with Monty pre jury speech. What votes did you think you had? What votes did you think you didn't have? And did you think there were floaters where you were just like, I have to convince them? Or were you pretty confident? No, I knew for a fact that I did not have Indy. I knew for a fact I did not have uh, Terrence. (laughs) (laughs) I was positive I did not have Terrence. And I definitely thought that Kyle uh, would be more... um, I thought that Kyle would see his own game reflected in Monty's game because their games were very similar. You know, I thought that the jury would be more inclined to the way that you perceived the game. You come down to resume. That's the objective way and the only way to value the game and evaluate the game. But this would not be a 82 day game. If it came down just to statistics, it has to be about socially. What moves did you make? It has to be about strategically. What moves did you make? And the only game that I was really given the freedom to play in that house was a social game because I started at 
negative infinity <laughs> and had to find a way to come back. So I think when people say, oh, like, let's talk statistics, let's talk statistics, who had influence during those games too? Who had power and influence? That's what the game is for. You win and you fight for those competitions to have influence and power in the game. But if you don't have more comp wins, but you have more influence, I think that's significantly more impressive for whatever the reason may be. Um, but because that's a more gray space that you have to defend and advocate for when you're in those final two seats, I thought that Michael was up in the air. I thought Jasmine would want to see me in final two. I wasn't sure if she was willing to give me the win. Um, Brittany felt more so definitely in my camp, but even Alyssa felt pretty up in the air because she tried to orchestrate a whole plan to get me sent home too. You know, there are so many reasons why people in that house wanted to see me out. And I only had so much time to try to convince them otherwise, but it was good that I had the people in the jury uh, to take care of me too. Once you gave your speech, did you think I really outdid Monty here and I think I'm going to win them over or you just didn't know? No, hands down. Yes. Um, I thought that I, I still thought it would be a close vote, but comparing the speeches that Monty and I had next to each other. I mean, I'm kind of glad the camera wasn't on me because Monty had a really good resume. He had really good social game. He had reasons why he could have advocated for himself and completely blown me out the water. But if that camera was on my face when he was giving my speech, y'all would have seen me cringing hard. I was like, do better. (laughs) Fight for yourself. (laughs) Do something here. Save yourself. But, you know, I think anybody next to me would have had a a hard shot if I gave that speech. Yeah, with that speech, for sure. I mean, let's face it. It was an iconic speech. There's no doubt about that. So... Yeah, I wanted to uh, replay that answer from her. And then this next portion that we're going to talk about is what happened to Taylor after she won Miss Michigan. And as I said, when the podcast ran back on October 27th, I will say it again. This is a trigger warning because she does talk about um, some sexual misconduct by one of the leaders in the Miss USA organization. So you have been warned. I'll give you a few seconds, but this is her description of what happened to her in regards to after she won Miss Michigan, the events that happened the next day. Now, what I'm really concerned about are deeper issues that happen with the current ownership of Miss USA. I don't care about allegations of favoritism. I care about allegations of sexual harassment that have happened with someone in the organization. That's what's more important to me than anything. Yeah, and that's something that you have spoken out about, and you have come forward of. Now, I don't know. I I guess I need you to explain to me what exactly you have spoken out about in regards to sexual misconduct happening within the Miss USA organization. Mm -hmm. Now, this is um, the first time I'm going on the record saying this. Okay. Um. But the day after Miss USA, how do I break this down so it's easy to understand? Your your so Miss USA. First time, your Miss USA. I was Miss my Miss USA. Yes. Yeah, so last year when I competed, yeah, uh, I was Miss Michigan USA twenty twenty one. The morning after I competed, I got a direct message from the co president of the organization, um, who is married to the other co president of the organization. Uh, so. He DMs me on Instagram and said, you know, you did a good job. So proud of you. And I'm just thinking, okay, thanks. Sure. He invites me to the presidential suite. I decline. Um, We later run into each other in the lobby 
where I'm carrying my state costume. It's big and heavy. And he offers to help me carry it to my room. I say, yes. Um, there was a protocol in place where if you were being escorted to your room, the person who was escorting you would stop at the elevator bank and watch you go down the hallway to your room. He did not stop at the elevator bank. He continued to go into the room. He placed the costume in the room in that entry corridor. And then he walked all the way in and proceeded to sit down, um, have a conversation with me. None of this felt really threatening, um, but it was definitely uncomfortable. Like he should not have been lingering. And then when he stood up, he gave me some very sexually intimate types of hugs. Like they were very intimate, pretty sexual. Um, he's whispering in my ear, telling me that he, you know, I'm so beautiful, so gorgeous. Um, he kisses the corner of my mouth, trying to play it off like it's my cheek. And I just, I'm just frozen. I'm not doing anything. But he's clearly waiting for me to make the next move. He does this twice. Um, and then finally, I get him to leave the room. Hmm. So, you know, ultimately, as of early January of this year, this happened late November. As of early January, he was finally removed from the organization. Um, I was still a title holder in the organization. I was still Miss Michigan USA until May of that year. So, you know, I didn't want to blow this up. I didn't want to make the biggest deal out of it. Um, but I was made aware that there may have been other women, whether they were from my year or from previous years, because he had owned Miss Houston USA at one point. He'd been involved in hosting Miss Texas USA. This is someone who'd been around the pageant industry and around many uh, vulnerable women. So what's more important to me is that he is dealt with. What's more important to me is that those allegations are taken seriously. I don't, frankly, I don't care about issues of uh, pending potential rigging of a pageant when you have someone who has access to young women, yeah. um, whether they be missed contestants or team contestants. Wow. Well, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Um, when it got, when word got around that you had, told that story and you were maybe the one behind him getting removed, which he absolutely should have been. Did more women come forward to you? Did women approach you and say, Hey, you know, yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I can't imagine. I mean, anytime this happens in anything, sporting world, whatever entertainment world, we all know it turns into all it takes is for one woman to speak up. And then here come more because they were scared and and rightfully so because you just don't know what can happen you know tiger woods situation the first woman comes out and then 14 others say oh yeah no i was having a relationship with him too so it seems like same thing here where it's just like all it takes is one to break the seal here and here we go and yeah did you hear from others that came to you and just said i mean you don't have to obviously name them but did people come to you and say yeah same thing of course, of course, it's important to me that I protect our identities. But yes, yeah. um, other women did come to me for, over a course of a handful of years. Um, so that's what was most alarming to me because he felt way too comfortable um, finding his way to my room, going from the DM to actually being in my room and inviting me to his room. It just all felt too practiced and comfortable. In my gut, something told me there's no way you're the only one. Some You have to be too bold and practiced to do this at the Miss USA level. Uh, I didn't want to believe it, but I just I knew that there would be more, and there are more. Okay, well that's good. That's I mean I'm I'm glad that you spoke out, which meant others felt comfortable coming to you, and glad obviously he's out of that position, and hopefully he never gets involved and is hired in any capacity to work in the pageant world again. Um, but you said his wife is also high up in that level. Is she still? They, they co-own the organization together. 
um, she and obviously once he was removed, she was solely involved in, in running the organization. But with all the allegations happening right now about rigging and such, I know that she has been temporarily suspended while they do an investigation on the rigging. I'm not positive if the investigation is also happening on what happened with me, potentially other women. Um, but, you know, the whole narrative around this from the few that I've seen this year, it's been frustrating to me is that it's all been so sensationalized. It's all, oh, Miss USA rigging at a pageant. Can you believe it? And I'm like, there's just there's something deeper happening here and we're not really talking about it. So instead of focusing on a pageant, something that seems so glitzy that people are not willing to look deep into and write off the women who are accusing the pageant of, of rigging, talk about the real issue. It's not a matter of uh, girls being upset that they spent a lot of money and lost. It's a matter of women feeling truly that they were not given due justice and women being taken advantage of by, by one man. For you know, sure. This industry is incredible and it's done great things for me and my closest friends come from the pageant world. They've been on the Forbes list. They've been public speakers. They're rich and accomplished and beautiful and confident. And I think anybody who joins a pageant can gain so much from it. And I would hate for this narrative to turn into, well, this is why pageants shouldn't exist. Why are we degrading women with pageants still? It's That's just not at all what this conversation should be. Yeah. So is this is his role in all this just not getting national play? And it's more about, no. the, more about the Miss Texas winning and, oh, she had a lot of favoritism towards her? Okay. Yeah, those are the only headlines that I've seen. And again, that's something that if I were not in the pageant world, I'd just roll my eyes and be like, why is this even coming up to my feet? But yeah. there's a deeper issue that we should be talking about. And it's everything that I just said. Well, yeah, thank you so much for speaking out. I had no idea that you, I mean, I had heard through mm-hmm. when I was working the pageants that you were one uh, that came forward, one of the first ones. And, you know, another reason why I wanted to talk to you, because I, that's, it's obviously very important, and if, like you said, if it's not getting national run, um, you know, it needs to get out there somehow. And let's let's not focus on something that may or may not have been rigged for a Miss Texas that, from the people I talked to, said she didn't even whatever favoritism that she was getting, she probably didn't need it anyway because she was that yeah. she was that of a boss to win that thing anyway. She probably didn't she need really it. She really was just that good. We yeah. saw her win and we said, yeah, like if there was favoritism, she truly did not need it. Yeah. So, you know, I hate to think about that for her because she's probably isolated and getting questions she doesn't deserve. She doesn't need to be held accountable. It's the people who are above her that maybe did bad things that need to be held accountable, not her. Yeah. Well, again, I appreciate it uh, so much that you were able to talk about that and, you know, for the first time, really mention it. And uh, I had no idea you hadn't talked about that yet. So thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Well, thank, thank you for giving me the space to talk about it openly. Um, you know, hopefully this will change the conversation. Yeah. So thank you. And really, I re- couldn't thank her enough uh, for opening up about that because that was the first time I didn't even realize it as she was telling me the story. That was the first time she had ever talked about that on record. She had spoke about it off record to organizations who had run the story and said somebody said an or you know you miss USA organizer had been inappropriate with women but that was the first time she had ever attached her name to it and a couple outlets picked up on it and ran the story which I'm glad they did because it needed as much press as possible but I can't thank Taylor enough uh, for coming on and doing that back on October 27th now moving on we get to two weeks later on November 10th with podcast number 312, I had someone on that most of you probably don't even know. You may have seen her story make national news, and that is with Allie Appleby, who was Miss 
13 Dallas, USA. As you know, I judged Miss Dallas. I judged um, the Miss Dallas, USA portion. She was in teen, but it ran simultaneously. So I was aware of her story that weekend. She won. She suffers from seizures. She suffers from epilepsy. And she has a service dog. And it was, like I said, at the time of the interview, one of the top three interviews I've ever done. I was amazed at how incredible this teenager was, how well she came across in the interview. I mean, you, you heard it for yourself if you, if you listened to the interview. But if not, we're going to go over a few things here. Okay, so the first thing she talked about was her seizures and what exactly they consist of. I want to make it known, your story has gotten a ton of coverage <laughs> nationally. Uh, by, you know, the AP, Fox News, many people.com have covered, I mean, many, many sites have covered your story that you won Miss Teen USA with your service dog, Brady. And, you know, you've mentioned to me that you've been diagnosed with high-functioning Asperger's and epilepsy. Now, there is a bigger story behind that because for the longest time, you were misdiagnosed. So tell people exactly how this all came to be. Yeah, so my... Um, specific diagnosis of epilepsy is absence seizures and focal seizures. So a seizure for me is not your typical shaking on the ground grand mal seizure. I stare into space and pass out. Um, occasionally I'll be paralyzed for a couple minutes. It really depends, but it's not your typical stereotypical seizure. So for 16 years, I was fighting with doctors saying something's wrong and I was put on anxiety medications. I was diagnosed with anxiety um, and it took until I went to see a psychiatrist who within five minutes knew I had a seizure. Um, I was sitting in her office when I had a seizure. She looked at my mom and said, why didn't you tell me she has epilepsy too? And we had no idea. So my diagnosis was really funny in a way because I had no idea. It was so sudden it took her five minutes to find out what we fought for for 16 years and they thought it was anxiety yes so they claimed i had severe panic attacks Hmm. now what age do you remember having like how far back did seizures start with you how long have you been having those so my parents and i have been thinking about it since i was diagnosed and we think back all the way until i was like two so I had a really hard time in elementary school. Um, I was just told, you know, I was an odd child. I had unusual tendencies, that kind of thing from teachers. But when we think back on it all the way until I was like a baby, I couldn't handle like commotion, loud noises, strobe lights, that kind of thing. And there are some stories that my mom brings up and I'm like, wait, that was a seizure. We were talking about the other day, she took me to the carnival when I was three and I got like super sick to the point where they wanted to take me to the hospital. And she was like, I never understood why you didn't like carnivals. Well, mom, that was a seizure. (laughs) Yeah. So it's been since I was born, really. Wow. And I think, you know, I asked you this when I saw you last and I want you to share this. Like, this is something because I was curious about what causes them and you've told me basically there's nothing in particular that causes them that you know it's gonna happen it's certain things i think you mentioned stress and diet can cause it but not all the time and so how does so it's just like you just kind of have to 
go with it and just see what or, <laughs> like what happens. It's different for everyone. Yeah. So for me, I do have a fairly long warning before I have a seizure. I know I'm going to have it. Um, it's something called an aura where some people will smell something. Some people hear weird noises. For me, I hear like someone banging on the back of my head. That's how I know I'm going to have a seizure. I get about 30 minutes before I have one. Hmm. But what triggers them is different for everyone. So for me personally, as you mentioned, it's stress, diet. Um, a lot of the time sleep. If I'm sleep deprived, I am very likely to have a seizure. Um, stress is a big one. I went to take the SATs. Within about 30 minutes of the test, I had a seizure from stress. Um, so mm. for me, it's funny. I don't have light-sensitive seizures. So I did go to a concert and didn't have an issue, which everyone was like, how did you go to a concert? You have epilepsy. It's different for everyone. Um, but yeah, for me, stress is just a major one. Um, I'm trying to think, oh, and when I get sick. So if I have a common cold, I end up in the hospital because of seizures. So my immune system is very low. And when I am sick, my body can't keep up with it. So I seize. So I kind of want to ask how often do you have them? But it sounds like you could go on a run where you have them a lot and then not have one for a while. Or is it fairly yeah. like, okay, so that's the way it works. You just, you could go a couple weeks without having one and then have three in a day or what, what is it like? You, how many? You're spot on with that. So when I was first diagnosed, I was having a couple a day, which is terrifying to think about. Now that I am medicated and we have it under control, usually about two a month is my max. Sometimes if it's bad and I have bad circumstances, I'm sick, whatever, I'll have multiple in a row. Mm. But for the most part, two a month, one every couple of weeks. Um, like, I can't remember my last one. Knock on wood, it's been a while. I think it's a 25 days now. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's great. I mean, and I'm sure, like you said, when you were younger, you were having it more often because, one, you were misdiagnosed, and, two, you probably weren't on any sort of, I don't think, any sort of medication back then to yeah. try and control it, right? Not at all. So, yeah, just to be misdiagnosed, I mean, that's got to be, for as many years as she was misdiagnosed, that's horrible. That's horrible. It's just amazing that she had to go through that. The next thing that we discussed and this one is only about a minute long. This clip's about a minute long, but it's kind of the story of what made her even get into and apply to be in the Missed Teen Dallas USA pageant. This is definitely what made my story so publicized. This is the story behind it. I've always been in sports. I've always been kind of a tomboy. Um, Never once thought I would do a pageant, but I was at a charity function and one of the girls at the table with me was telling me how she was going to compete for Miss Dallas. And I like thought that was so fun. I was like, that sounds great. That sounds so fun. And she was trying to encourage me to sign up. And of course, my reaction is, oh, no, 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 no. That's so not me. Nothing. I would never do something like that because it just didn't seem like I could. But a lady across from the table heard us and said, wait. You have a service dog and epilepsy. You can't do a pageant with that. Like, that's not what pageant girls do. That's not a pageant girl. So I instantly signed up. It, I didn't second guess it. Didn't even ask my mom. I was like, okay, I'll sign up. Like, that's fine. Um, went to my mom. I was like, hey, 
what are you doing in three weeks? Because I'm competing for Miss Dallas team. So that's a great story. And it was the quote that all the national media outlets put in their stories in regards to why she decided to ultimately enter the pageant, having never entered a pageant in her life. So love that quote by Allie. Now we're going to talk in this next segment is where I asked her about her service dog, Brady, because I'm guessing a lot of us don't know about service dogs, how you go about getting one, what their role is. And Allie explains here those two things. First, how she went about getting a service dog, and then what role that service dog, Brady, plays in her life. So the process of getting a service dog is extremely difficult. So when I initially got put on the list to get a service dog, it was going to be psychiatric service dog and autism assistance. Um. A couple months later, I was diagnosed with epilepsy, as I said, completely on accident. So I called the company and I was already on a wait list for a dog. And I was like, hey, so I have epilepsy now. So we have to change that to epilepsy alert dog as well, which they were amazing with. Um, So it actually worked out because they had a dog, a prospect for epilepsy alert. So I ended up getting Brady faster because the way they pick a dog for you is the temperament of the dog. So for emotional support, anxiety, autism, it would be a more calm dog. But for an alert dog for a disease like epilepsy, they need to be more active dogs because they need to be able to take care of you. They need to be able to jump when it's needed. So I actually got Brady within nine months of being on the wait list. And the process of getting him was very difficult they went they tested four dogs before they found one that was the right fit for me um and i got a call about two weeks before i got brady then they said they're like hey we have a dog ready for you so in two weeks you're picking up your service dog so you didn't get to try out the four dogs right they didn't get to no okay so they choose it without it ever being in your presence and without you ever playing with it or anything like that so that's weird. How do they, it's like, how do they know what dog fits you if you're not in contact with the dog? It was, I went through a lot of interviews with the trainers. Hmm. They figured out my personality and they would match it to the dog's personality. But they test the dogs when they're about three weeks old. And what they test the dog for is not necessarily personality, but what they're able to handle. So specifically for Brady, when they tested him, they vacuumed around him. And they didn't want him to react to the vacuum. They opened an umbrella and they didn't want him to react to that. Um, They did things like that where he had to be calm, but he also had to be able to react to a situation when needed. Mm. Uh, And I am amazed by the trainers. I watch them pick dogs out for other people and it's amazing to watch. But I did not get to meet Brady beforehand. I met his mom, but I didn't get to meet him. And when I finally got him, that was the first time I met him was the day I got him. And it was perfect. Like, it was a perfect fit. And if you ever see us in public, we are like the perfect pair. What exactly does an epilepsy alert dog have to do for you? So Brady has a lot of tasks. I will say that dog, he plays a huge role in my life. So by the name, he does alert me of seizures about 45 minutes before they're going to happen. How, how how does how does the dog know this <laughs> just by being around you all the time so i got him when he was eight weeks old 
and he started he has been with me since then and he's noticed my seizures he's seen them but he also is able to tell by the chemical imbalance on my breast <laughs> so wow. it's crazy to think about but sometimes you'll see me sit down next to him or i lean into his face he's smelling my breath he's smelling my chemical makeup on me mm. so that's normally how he tells but he's also able to tell me things that will prevent me from having a seizure. So like I said, my diet is a big one. If my blood sugar drops too low, I'm bound to seize. So part of Brady's job is to tell me when my blood sugar is too low and to go get me a snack of some kind. I keep granola bars in my bag and we trained him to go get me a granola bar or go get me an applesauce or something like that. Um, and he's really good at that. And he does not give up he's very stubborn so if he thinks i need something he will go to the end of the earth to make sure i get that snack in me um he also alerts of stress so there's something that service dogs do called deep pressure therapy where they lay on top of you and they find the pressure points that can lower your heart rate to reduce your anxiety so i know backstage at the pageant i had to sit on the floor and brady laid on top of me while I was fully in a ball gown because I got stressed and he was preventing me having a seizure. That's fascinating. Um, wow. Uh, I did not know that part. Um, cause I know, yeah, I mean, for crazy. the two days, the two days that we covered it, I know that you did not have any sort of seizures, but I did not no. know about the, um, you know, the laying down backstage because he had to do that. I mean, I, that's amazing Everyone that a thought. dog does that. That's crazy. Yeah. So everyone thought it was just cute. Like I was just lying with my dog, whatever. They were taking pictures. They thought it was adorable. What they didn't see though was I was stressed and Brady felt it and he was trying to fix it. So somewhere there's a video of me on stage, Brady jumps up on me and that's his way of telling me, Hey, you need help with something. There's something wrong. So what you don't see in the pageant is backstage. Everyone was freaking out. Everyone was going to get snacks, asking where my medicine is, what can they do, how can they help me, because Brady jumped. Um, and I was okay. I was totally fine. I ate some gummy bears, grabbed some water, and got back out on stage. No problem there. But because he did that, I was able to prevent the seizure. And then the final thing we discussed here was service dog etiquette, because once again, I don't think a lot of us really know what the etiquette is regarding a service dog. So I asked Allie about that. You know, one other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is something you brought up and you put in a post on Instagram that I had no idea about. And I think it's really important for people who didn't know about this. And it's how to treat somebody who has a service dog, how to treat the dog. Because I, you know, when I was, the two times that I've been in contact with Brady at the, the weekend of the, uh, pageant and then at Emily's charity event, you know, I had no, like I pet him and he was fine, but there is kind of a, I don't want to say rules or maybe they are rules uh, for people, no. for the average person who comes in contact with someone who has a service dog. You don't just pretend that they're any dog at the dog park. Like, can you kind of go over yes. exactly the treatment of a service dog? Cause I didn't know about this until you posted. And then I felt like, wow, did I do something wrong? Like when no, no, I no. met Brady? So a big thing with it, I'm a little too lackadaisical with it. I let people pet Brady all the time, um, which 
the trainer yells at me all the time for it. But a big thing is when people are petting a service dog or playing with them or treating them like a pet, they get distracted from their job. So Brady is aware of everything about me. And in public, he's taking in everything about me. He's smelling my chemical imbalance, reading my heart rate, reading my blood sugar. He is so focused on everything I do. So when people are playing with him and people are petting him, all of that, it can distract him from his job. That's not, it's a huge deal for some people. For me, I've gotten used to it. Where it gets bad is when people are treating him. um, I can't even think of a word for this. I've had people bark at Brady. I've had people walk over and take selfies with Brady. I've had a woman put her baby, it was like a two-year-old child, on Brady's back and take pictures like the baby was riding him like a horse. Hmm. That's where it becomes an issue because that's so distracting, not just for Brady, but also for me, where it puts me in a situation where I don't know how to handle it and Brady is so distracted. If you put a two-year-old on a puppy's back, the puppy is going to obviously be distracted. And he wasn't reading what was happening to me. For some people, the distractions can be a huge impact. So for people who have diabetes, if the dog gets too distracted, they can't read their blood sugar levels, the dog could miss an alert. Things like that can be really bad. I think a lot of service dog handlers get frustrated with it because people abuse the dog in public. Um, I have had so many instances where Brady is um, treated just horribly. I had a lady try to pick him up. I had a man who tried to take his vest off of him to see his fur. I didn't understand why. I didn't <laughs> see a reasoning for that. Yeah, um, neither do I. People have let their kids play with Brady, pet him, play all around him, treat him like a like a petting show almost. And that's where it becomes an issue. And one of the big training things we have to work on in service dog training is distraction training. Um, I've had kids come up and kick Brady. And one of the things we have to work on when we train him is to not flinch when he gets kicked, which is horrible to think about and not hard, just like tapped with a foot Um, or like tap their tail with a cart, that kind of thing. Because people don't think about it that way. They see the dog and they think fluffy pet. But a lot of the times I do post about it when I experience just blatant abuse to my dog in public. Yeah. Not that you wouldn't even treat your pet that way. So for people to come up and kick my dog or to bark at my dog or something like that is a lot to take in because as I like to explain it, service dogs are a medical device. They are no different than a wheelchair. So I need Brady to alert me for my medical emergencies. He is a medical device and he should be treated like one. And when I explain that to people, they understand more. Um, so when you see a service dog in public, what you should think is, would I walk up to a wheelchair and pet it? Or, or, would I go or kick it? 
Yeah, or kick a wheelchair. Yeah, you wouldn't do it. Exactly. You're like, okay, maybe I wouldn't go kick a wheelchair. Um, that's kind of how I like to explain it to people. And a lot of people don't understand, and I do love to explain that. So I actually thank you for bringing that up. And that was just part bits and pieces of my interview with Allie Appleby from November 10th, which was podcast number 312. So hope you got uh, a good glimpse of that. If you never listened to it the first time around, maybe you want to listen to it uh, this time around because she was unbelievable. Uh, one of the best top three interviews I've ever done on this podcast out of 315. And then the final one was from last week, but I just wanted to cut out the about 12 minutes of Jacqueline Trumbull on podcast number 314 last week talking about why she decided to end her engagement and call off her wedding two weeks before it was supposed to happen. Just, I guess, the best you can kind of lay out to the people who may not be familiar exactly why you chose to end your engagement two weeks before you were set to walk down the aisle. Yeah, it's hard to say succinctly. I mean, I, I guess I would say that our relationship was unhealthy. Um, it had started off unhealthy, and then we had a good year in there, and then it started really declining in the last six months after we got engaged. Um, you know, there was an event at my bachelorette party, but it's not super – it's not why we broke up um, because the dynamics that occurred at that event, which were basically like – um, me getting yelled at on my birthday, for instance, sort of things that had happened many times before, like conflict resolution was really difficult between us. Um, I am going to lay that mostly at his feet <laughs> because um, I think he uh, just a really, um, I, I don't think he deals with anger very well. Um, he, my friends witnessed behavior that they did not like and they told me as much and there was a lot of expressed fear about me getting married. And I also got the feedback that, you know, you are, you meaning me, you are such an adventurous, bold person, um, very social, outgoing, and all of that light seems to be dimmed in this relationship. Um, you know, that I seemed very anxious and fearful of his reactions, his emotions. Um, I think a lot of our relationship, I was made to be responsible for his feelings. And of course, when you're in a relationship, you care about your partner's feelings and you try to protect their pride and you, you know, try to make them feel better and, and all that. But it's, you know, if you are being who you are and you are, honest about who you are and honest about your values and what they can expect from you. And they are hurt and offended all the time. And then they make that your problem. You know, they make that punishing for you. Then you're just not in a sustainable dynamic. So I, a lot of times in my relationship, I felt like I was hurting him that he was unhappier with me, even though he was very in love. And I felt like I couldn't really be myself and that, who I was was threatening to him. So clearly when this stuff was going on in your relationship, you were very well aware of it. It didn't take your friends telling you this. Maybe it did to maybe it give you a, a, a kick in the pants a little bit, but it's yeah. not like they brought something up to you and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah, you're right. You kind of were in this relationship. You knew it's just a matter of 
you know, you were two weeks away from getting married. And that's, I mean, regardless of where you are and how you feel about things, there's this burden of shit. Everybody's here. Everybody's made this trip to watch us get married. It still had to have been a very difficult decision to pull the trigger and say, you know what? This wedding is off. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're, oh, sorry. Was there a question? No, I was just going to say like how, <laughs> how much of a role did that play in, in, in calling it off? So they, so they kind of intervened after my bachelorette party in Vegas. And that was maybe like a month before we were going to get married. Um, so I didn't break it off then. I decided not to get legally married then. Um, my wedding was almost all paid for. It was something I was looking, it was my dream wedding, something I was looking forward to. And ultimately I didn't feel ready to break up. So we decided to go through the wedding, but not get legally married. And then a couple weeks later, we're in Scotland. So basically, we went to Europe for a month. We were going to get married in the third week of that month. We started in Scotland. And um, I was having a really rough time. I was not happy. Um, it's not like, you know, we had had some conversations and we had reinstated some hope. But it's not like my anxiety was gone. And, yeah, I mean, we just had another kind of blowout. And it was in front of his friends and his friend this time was like, this is not good. <laughs> like, this is really not going to like what I'm seeing. And that was kind of when I, I was just like, I, you know, this is so clear that there is a problem here. Um, and yeah, so my friends were at that point all flying out. They hadn't necessarily arrived in Europe, but um, I had been told before the wedding by multiple people including my mother you know please don't think about the wedding like don't think about the cost don't think about the inconvenience this is your life and people would rather see they would rather you know have to go to like at least portugal is a cool destination you know like yeah worst case people have a vacation in portugal without a wedding and you know you're you're happier or you're better off um, what else was I going to say? I don't know. <laughs> well, I, oh yeah. What else? The other thing I was going to say was that there's a lot of pressure to get married when everybody's flying out and you've spent a lot of money, but what took away, what made it easier was the fact that I knew I was going to stand up there and get married and most of my wedding party was not going to support the marriage. And so a lot of the joy was already gone before I called it off. Hmm. Yeah. Now, the other thing that happened, you talk about this bachelorette party that happened in Vegas uh, a couple months before the wedding. Once everything broke and it was the wedding was called off, Paul did take to um, Instagram. Instagram yeah. And shared his side. I don't have it screenshot, so I don't remember the details, but he had thrown stuff out there that were things that I don't know if you want to address specifically because you probably probably remember what he wrote i i don't i remember some things here and there but i don't want to paraphrase and get it wrong so in what paul wrote were you upset that he even decided to do that i gotta believe you were but was he right in any of that stuff was or was he portraying things that actually never happened uh was i upset yes (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, figured I don't think he I don't think he understood the consequences of that action. I don't think he understood that there can be a Reddit post. I mean, that his po- basically I, I posted something very vague about things not going to like things not going as planned in Portugal. Somebody asked 
what happened. I made the very bitchy comment that I regret of I came to my senses. I mean, the thing with Paul is like, <laughs> it was a little bit Jacqueline Hyde. Like I, you know, when, when we were in conflict, it was bad. And when we were not in conflict, he's very loving and great. And we had a great friendship. And that, I mean, I still feel that way. We're not friends, but I still feel like a lot of our relationship was great, you know, and he's a lot of him is great. <laughs> but in that, I think in that moment, like when we were sort of triggering each other, uh, yeah, I was just like, I gave him to my senses. And then he saw that and was very hurt by it, understandably, and then posted the series of events that went down in Vegas. Did he post things that were accurate? Yes. Did he post an extremely biased version of events that stretched some details? Also, yes. <laughs> um, uh-huh. I don't really, I wish I would, I wish I would have screenshot it. Cause I would have asked you specifically, Hey, when he said this, what was it? What was the truth about this? Or how much was this? exaggerated i don't yeah i don't have it anymore um i mean the the things that the i will say like the one thing that people are upset with me about was that he said that all my friends laughed when one of my friends made a suicide joke okay that was one thing that was like blatantly not true my friend got very scolded for that so (laughs) Mm. i mean that that was really frustrating i'm like are you serious i'm a therapist and you're trying to portray me as somebody who laughed at that joke that like that absolutely didn't happen (laughs) So that was really frustrating. But and the other series of I mean, I don't know. I mean, the outline of things was kind of true, but it was just so skewed the way he said it. Wasn't there something in there along the lines of um, not a hookup with another girl or what was the thing with another or was there another girl involved or something along those lines? Could no, be way off. nobody ever, no one ever cheated on each other in this relationship. Okay, that's what I see. That's what I, that's what I. That, he he alluded to that though, right? Or at least hinted towards it, or I thought that you did, or something along those lines. Yeah. So what he said is that post would say was very biased um, and exaggerated. Uh, he gave like a series of events that was kind of accurate, but I will say he heavily implied that something really bad happened to me and I do not believe that that happened. So I just don't, I received some messages of sympathy and, you know, people basically sharing their experiences and I don't want people to feel misled about that. Um, and I did not love that he, that he added that. <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you throw a, uh, when, when you throw a joint, uh, when you throw a joint bachelorette party, yeah, what was he? Do what was that. he doing there? <laughs> yeah. Never do that. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to, not that. Not saying that. Oh, he's not supposed to be there, so I can have my fun. It just seems like a weird dynamic to have. The whole point is, guys go off with his guys. You go off with your girls. You have your fun. He has his fun. Nothing, you know, too crazy get, happens and gets out of hand. But well, he should be joint. Was- I mean, the problem was that my, my birthday party was the day after the bachelorette party, which is why I invited him. Oh. Um, and he like, wanted to go. And he'd never been to Vegas. And oh, he's Canadian. And um, he we did have a separate, like on the bachelorette day, it was women only, like the first half of the day. And then we had like a dinner and show where everybody came. So during that time, basically what happened was like, yeah, we were at this pool with these guys. And then... The next day, my friend said something like, oh, that guy you were all obsessed with. And he was very hurt by that. Mm. But it wasn't like that guy you were all flirting with. <laughs> it was, I don't know. I mean, regardless, like I understand 
I understand being hurt by that, whatever. I just, I just think it got blown out of proportion. And, um, I, that's why I, I feel like these events, like what I'll cop to in this relationship is Paul was my first serious relationship. And I don't think that uh, I wait, was ever? Very, my first serious relationship. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I okay. Had, I didn't like, know. I had some committed relationships, but. They're very short-lived, yeah. So I just didn't really know how to be. You know, I didn't know how to be a good partner. I didn't know, like, um, I, I I was afraid of commitment when we first got together, and so I think I made him very anxious. And I get that. Like, I I think I would have been hard to date that first year. So I think that kind of set a bad a bad tempo, maybe, mm. for things. But we just couldn't never. As I tried to prove that I was committed in, in this, I kind of shut down more and more by my behavior, and I think he took more and more liberties with his, and it came to be kind of an unequal dynamic. So that'll do it for the best of compilation of three of the last six podcasts I've done. And yeah, it might have come about because I was unable to get a guest. The one guest I had lined up, schedule timing didn't work out. Then I tried to get last second guests of people that have been on numerous times and it just didn't work out yesterday. So I was like, why don't I just do a, a compilation of, cause I really thought these three interviews in the last, you know, month or so, whether it was Taylor's or Allie's or, or Jacqueline's really hit on uh, some pretty big things in there. And I just wanted to focus on those things. So will I ever do one again? Even if I do have a guest lined up? Yeah, I probably will. This was, um, I think I put it all together cause it was, <laughs> I hope it flows correctly. I'm not going to sit there and listen to this 48 minutes of of content back, but I think it flows together because I had to sh- I had to record each intro and insert it into an already existing file and stuff like that. I I think I did it correctly. If I didn't, you'll know where I screwed up, but I think I did it correctly. If someone wants to listen to the whole thing and tell me, "Steve, good job. You had them all in the right places, the intros and the outros for each uh audio clip." I'd appreciate it. If I screwed up, you can tell me too. Um, but I think I got it. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Your daily roundup. Uh, it should be in your Reality Steve podcast feed if you want to go listen to that today as well. But thank you all for hanging in there and waiting an extra day for podcast number 315. I appreciate it. We'll be back next week, hopefully with the original guest we were supposed to have this week. So thank you very much. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. It is much appreciated. And I will talk to you next week.